Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the spouses behind the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever, whenever, and Defence Bank offers competitive products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Well, welcome Kirsty, lawyer, mediator, author, and divorce coach to the Military Wife Life podcast. Hi, Beth. Lovely to be here. That's a few titles to add to your name. Can you, I guess, tell us how you're connected to defence? Look, I grew up as as an army child. My dad was in the army. He only just left the army, actually, so he's been in the army for a very long time. Um, I was also married. My first husband was in was in the army as well. So, have had a lot to do with the defence community growing up, and then through my early years in in marriage. I guess the topic of divorce and separation and all that sort of comes with that isn't an easy one to talk about for a lot of people, particularly for defence couples and families when they go through divorce or separation. There's a few, I guess, extra layers to add to that situation. Can you tell me what work you sort of do within the space of divorce and separation? Obviously, you're a lawyer and you have, you know, that connection, but being a spouse and coming at it from the fact that you've been through it. How does that sort of help you in your work? So I guess just by way of a bit of background, um, I've been a lawyer for 18 years. I traditionally started just doing family law in a very practical way, um, a very traditional way, which is ultimately ends up leading to a lot of litigation. So I did a lot of litigation in family law, which obviously is a really difficult path for many people. That involves, you know, often, you know, a lot of letters, a lot of court documents, and then ultimately actually appearing in court to talk about their situation. However, in the last four years, I've really changed up the way that I think any couple should deal with family law. Having been through it myself, probably 10 years ago now, I found that there was actually what I would call a better way to do divorce. So I've actually changed my entire business structure. I left my partnership that I was in um, and I have established a boutique firm where I deal only with out-of-court solutions. Now, what that really involves is using some methods such as collaborative family law, which I can explain a bit later, um, mediation, which a lot of people are familiar with. And I also coach people. I believe very strongly that a lot of it comes down to behaviour and the choices that we're making. So I'm really trying to teach people, no matter what background they're from or how they've separated, that to really consider their situation rather than jumping straight in to legal solutions and, and getting down that really negative pathway. So I find that helps any any couples I, I face. I mean, I've dealt with many types of people in the litigation space and also now more in the, in the calm and kind family law space. You know, no one really wants to think about divorce or separation, but even if you can be informed going into it and and know that there are a number of different ways to approach it and it, it doesn't always have to be this me against 
my ex-partner sort of situation. Yeah. And look, I think that's the first thing that most people, obviously, immediately when people separate, there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. There's often a lot of distrust. All those things are happening. But I guess, you know, if we could put ourselves, you know, five years forward and look back on how we acted back then, it's it's really important to kind of get people to really just calm down after separation and not feel they need to jump straight into legal solutions. So it's really important for people to get as much information, get as much support and really prepare themselves before they do. I mean, look, obviously there are times when they do need to go down that litigation path, but I'm not saying they're not. My job is to really keep people out of that if they really don't need to. Work very much on behaviour and making sure they're really well aware of all the resources available to them, all the courses and perhaps counselling and and the support networks that they can access. Yeah, because often, you know, when it does come time to make the decision to separate or to divorce, you're not often thinking with a clear head or you don't have time to sort of, you know, sit there, okay, let me do my research about what's on offer for me. How should you sort of be approaching if that time does come for yourself or for your family? The way I I do it, I have, as you mentioned at the start, I'm actually an author. So I've written a book very much about teaching couples how to approach it immediately following separation. My book is called What Are We Fighting For? And what I've done in that book is I've created a a six-step guide to kind of allow couples to be able to... I guess, take control and and work through those steps and really where they can gather all that information and how they can do it. And there's a lot of it they can actually do themselves, just working through it. One of the other really big things, my message is, is about the team that you pick to support you. Now, the big message there is, unfortunately, um, and I've dealt with it myself as a lawyer, there are some lawyers who are amazing litigators and they love court work and they really are great at that. And yes, as I've said, that's, you know, sometimes is needed for couples but unfortunately there's there's also I guess a message out there that you need to get a lawyer who's going to you know tear the other person's head off and make sure you get everything you're entitled to I'm of the opinion that we really need to look after ourselves as well not just you know fighting for the the most you can absolutely get because often the result isn't what you're after I mean people spend thousands of dollars like I've had people spend over a hundred thousand dollars plus on legal fees and, and a lot of the time I think that can be avoided when I talk about getting the information and the knowledge it's also about choosing the right people to give it to you so if you go into a lawyer that straight away says let's write a really litigious letter and demand that they do this 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 and this I find that immediately turns everything onto a really negative pathway so my methods are very much saying to people look we don't really need to write that awful letter and start litigation and start that trail of accusation what we need to do is make sure you get the support and then make sure you've got the information and then suggest to the other party you know some really great ways to try and sit down and work things out also obviously separating and going through the divorce process has some extra complexities for defense couples and especially for spouses can you give any insight into that yeah look i mean in my experience some of the i guess the extra added difficulties that defense couples have to face is i mean relocation i guess would be the primary one. Um, Obviously, when you've got children involved, um, there is issues of where you're going to live. And if sometimes people might need to move away, there's some really complex cases and case law around who's allowed to go and when you're allowed to go and getting consent. So it's really important that you 
do gather that information and make sure you know what your rights are when it comes to being able to relocate. Another thing that, you know, does often complicate is when we're talking about, I guess, a property settlement is superannuation. Obviously, the Commonwealth superannuation schemes are very different to some of the other ones, so there's some complexities there. So I would think they're probably the two primary things that defence members would really have to look at, that relocation as well as the super. I mean, I have obviously other issues, I guess, you know, the way the, the nice way to put it is, you know, you are faced with perhaps a spouse. One is the main income earner and the other one is staying at home. So there's issues perhaps of ongoing spousal maintenance and the ability if you're, say, that your spouse is, is the defence member and you don't earn any income, that sometimes is a really immediate, you know, interim financial issue that needs to be resolved pretty quickly. And then also the fact that once you kind of make that decision and you inform defence, you pretty much have like 28 days to leave the defence property and get yourself situated. And if there are, like you mentioned, kids involved, it might not necessarily mean that you can just go back to family or move to the location where you think you have the most support because of not having custody arrangements or anything sort of in place. What sort of happens there? Unfortunately, it's I've seen some really sad cases and some really difficult cases when it comes to relocation um, with defence members. Honestly, it comes down to a discretionary decision of a judge. So if if that ultimately did end up before a judge, a judge would have to decide what's in the best interests of the children as to whether, you know, moving to a new town. So let's say if you had to move back to where family was. The the first step though is actually getting the consent of the spouse. So if you separated and, and you chose to say move six hours away would obviously make it very difficult for the other parent to see the child. And if that parent didn't consent to that relocation, then it would become a fight. It would become something where um, would potentially need to go to court to talk about whether the parent can actually relocate. And sadly, that, you know, as you said, you've only got a couple of weeks. That's a really tricky thing. So my advice there would be that if you are looking at separating, to really get the consent of that spouse and to, to talk about those things before you actually do separate and relocate. That's a really tricky thing. As I said, using my kinder and calmer methods, often I find people's behaviour changes. So if, let's say if someone separated and they ran straight to a lawyer and then got a letter sent to their spouse to say, I want to relocate, you must let me, I'm moving within this time frame, blah, blah, blah. It becomes very argumentative and, lit- and very, you know, ends up in litigation. Where if you turn to some different methods and say, look, let's go to a family counsellor together and work out what's best for the children so we can agree on how this is going to work. So you create the solution, not demand a solution, you work together to create that solution. And using mediation and also this collaborative law. So I'll quickly explain the difference between mediation and collaborative. So mediation, I'm a mediator and there's lots of mediators around. And what we do is we don't give legal advice, but we actually work with a couple to create a solution. The other method, collaborative family law, is where I would be acting as a lawyer. And the other person, so I would act for one person. And then on the other side, the other spouse would have their own lawyer. Both lawyers need to be what's called collaboratively trained. And that means we work together as a team. So the four of us sit down and have joint meetings. There's no letters, no threats. It's basically four people really effectively trying to work it out. Now, the benefit of that, obviously, is both parties have a lawyer and legal advice, where in mediation, they don't have the lawyer in with them at the time. So they're really great ways, rather than just going straight to a lawyer and demanding, I need to relocate, this is my demand. It's really good to actually come up with that solution. And I see so many more going down that avenue get better results where the ones that do the demanding side, which, you know, obviously is 
quite common because it's very scary after separation, you feel you need to do that. Those are the ones that fail, take a long time, cost a lot of money and really create huge problems for families. Yeah. And of course, like obviously using those karma methods is only going to benefit everyone. And especially if there are kids involved, because you are going to have that connection to that other parent for, you know, the foreseeable future. Yeah. Until they're 18. If not, I mean, I say until 18, but honestly, it's beyond that. You know, you have marriages, graduations, all those things you want to be able to work together. But the big thing I think that I would say for defence families is it's not going to just be a once off. Like often, you know, if there's going to be postings, there's going to be more more changes happening within those families. So you really need to actually somehow figure out, I mean, it's co-parenting. You're still doing what you were doing when you were together, but you need to, despite whether there's pain and hurt, get past all of that and just still co-parent, still make decisions together, not one person demanding the decisions and the results. It really needs to be a joint effort. And look, I know that is hard sometimes. I do get some people saying to me, you know, well, they're a really unkind person. How do I deal with that? I teach Rip's methods of really trying to keep calm and be kind. And it's often, you know, there's only so much unkindness that someone can give back if they're not getting any more, you know, from you. So very much about trying to come up with a way to work together and get past all the, the hurt and the pain. And of course, it's all well and good to sort of, like you said, it's, it's going to be an ongoing thing where, yeah. you know, if, if posting, and defense is involved things change like we we know that and and often when you don't expect it but how does that work with I guess if they were to go through mediation and and sort everything out and say okay well the best thing for the kids is for the mum and the kids or the partner and the kids to stay in the location that the defense member is because that means that the defense member still has access to the kids and you know we stay in their routines and we sorted that out but then the defense member gets posted away and there's no reason for them to be in that location because they might have wanted to actually go back to where their main supports and their family is. So it's really tricky with deciding where to actually base yourself as the the primary care of the kids because there is always that element of change with defence. I think that's why I think it's really important with defence to not, you know, like when we look at litigation, we get a court, in the end, if you go to court, you get a court order that says this person can you know lives here and this person lives here and the children do this and that's I guess a very firm and something that you know obviously both parties need to follow with using the other methods it's very much about you you can actually allow it to adapt and change so you can put something in your agreement if you create your own agreement that says okay in the interim this is what we both agree is in the best interest of the children this is where we will live however if say there's a posting or something then we will reconsider this position and we'll do this process again and we'll sit down and we'll talk about again and because it's very hard to anticipate what that change is going to be so you really need to have the door of communication constantly open until those kids are 18 so that you can actually sit down together and at each time there's a major decision or a change in one of the parents lives decide what to do and actually do that together and come up with a really great way to do it. I often also use, I refer a lot of couples to a child specialist, a family counsellor, and she often does what we call child inclusive discussions. So she will sit down with the kids and, and talk about what actually would benefit them and what their wishes are, and then help the parents 
and give them that information. So it's not just one parent telling the other one that the kids want to do this or don't want to do this. She really uses some methods to really, I guess, look at what's best for the kids and taking into account what they think would work well for them. Obviously, depending on age, the older they are, the more input um, the family counsellor can, can sort of have with, with the children. But that's a really great thing as well, sort of sometimes agreeing that if there's a change, we need to sit down again and we can go through that again. Because obviously the alternative is if one of you just say, no, look, I'm not going to sit down and discuss this, is you end up going to court and a judge will have a discretionary decision about where they think that person should live and you have no control over it. The key is, I guess, going into the process, accepting that it's not going to be a one fit solution. No. You are going to have to be pretty flexible for the foreseeable future because, you know, there might be deployments involved, you know, field exercises. It's not going to be that person yeah. I mean, may not be able to just be like, okay, well, I'll have the kids one week on, one week off. It just doesn't work like that with defence. Absolutely. And look, I've, I've done a couple of clients who we did an agreement to do with children and, and one of the, obviously both actually of them was, were defence members. So that made it even trickier because there was one of them had a lot of obvious uh, deployments potentially in their line of work and the other one quite often had a lot of training so we just had to keep it really flexible and so as a mediator I did that one and we sat down and we worked it out and it was really flexible and worked out great and they still managed to do that they basically look at each other's six-month plan about what they're what's happening with work or even monthly depending on you know how quickly things are changing and they each month they just change the plan and they work it out and um you know, that was a really great way to do it. Um, but they knew that despite being hurt and what had happened, the pain they'd gone through, the separation, the only way they were actually ever going to work this out is if they could do it together. And of course, that obviously brings in your methods because of, you know, the nature of the fact that you have to remain open to change yeah. the defence. Um, yeah. You're not basically going to go back to court every two months to Absolutely. to change everything um, when yeah. you need to make changes. Plus, you know, who can afford that? Exactly. I mean, besides the cost, I mean, the stress I've seen people go through actually going through the court process is horrendous. I mean, I've had people have mental breakdowns. I've had, you know, severe long-term, you know, mental health issues because they've actually gone through the court process. And I guess I made that decision to try my best to keep as many families out of that court process as I could. You mentioned that obviously the main things that you, you basically need to sort or that that might be a little bit of extra complexities for defence couples are obviously where the spouse and if there are children involved are, are going to relocate to, but then also the whole super and, you know, yep. dividing that. And so how does that exactly work? Like, is it just like, okay, it gets split in half and the spouse gets some put into their, like, how does it actually okay. work? As you said, every case is different. So the way I work through as a mediator and also in, as a collaborative um, practitioner, and I also, um, actually train people to do a lot of this negotiation themselves so not having to engage professionals to do it what they need to consider is um, pretty similar to what a court would do so I actually work people through okay if you're in a court scenario these are the things that a judge would consider so it's not as simple as just going well it's 50 50 let's do that often there's a very in-depth process and it's a stage process where a court will look at you know what the parties had when they got together what they've contributed throughout that relationship and then also what their future needs are 
and we sort of go through us and, and look at all the assets and how that works. Often I work people through that, but they might still say, no, look, we just want to do 50-50. And to do that, yes. So let's say if it's super, there can be some splitting orders and things like that that can be created to do that. And often we finalise all of that by what I call an application for consent orders, which so if we're just looking at property, we sit down, we go through the process, we then decide what we think is fair and reasonable, we reach an agreement, and then we write that up. And it does become a court order. And the reason for that is it gives parties, um, let's say if they have a property, it allows them to get some stamp duty exemptions for if they're transferring property into somebody else's name. It allows that superannuation transfer if we need to do those sort of splitting and transfers. It just provides some security that if they do move on and go and buy a property themselves, that that's then no longer, you know, linked and there's no future claim from the other party on that asset. Because of course, obviously, you know, with the whole super aspect it may have been that the spouse has moved with the defense member hasn't had a consistent income hasn't been able to obviously input into their own super consistently and so they are at a disadvantage because of the defense lifestyle that they have lived in the way that they have supported the defense member super is definitely an asset so when i talk about when we split our assets anything you have so bank accounts cars houses shares and super, they're all assets. So they all have to be taken into account. And so when the court's looking at that stage of who contributed what, usually there's quite a significant weight, obviously, to someone who has, has, as you say, supported and stayed at home to look after the children and done all those things. So there's definitely no disadvantage um, that if someone stayed at home and, and looked after the children and the home while the other one is working. So that's the same for defence members as it would be for any member definitely still seen as a massive contribution to the family and the acquisition of that super and any other assets for that matter. Like you mentioned, like there's obviously two setups. There's where the defence member and the spouse um, don't have kids and, you know, they need to split assets and then the spouse can, you know, move to where they want to be or stay in location and they can kind of move on with their lives. And then the other other setup is the defence member and the spouse and they have kids and then they need to work out custody and visitation and split the super same way as what they would normal everyday couple and work out where they can relocate and how that access will happen. But Mm -hmm. both setups using the methods that you have in your book and, and the way that you do it out of court is hopefully going to allow any spouse and any defense member and any sort of family setup to walk away, not hating each other, their mental health intact. Like you mentioned, some people can be really affected by going through that process. And it's very traumatic if it's dragged out in the courts and the money and all of that. So basically, you know, it's showing people another way and allowing them to to sort of walk away and still be okay with each other or still be okay in themselves and to move on with their lives. That's why I guess the way that I work is that stage one, which I call calm, is really important to people because um, they really need to somehow learn to sit with whether, you know, and move past, I guess is the best way to put it, but or to actually move on with it, the pain of a separation. Because often I do get people in my office who are really obviously agitated, upset, angry. But if they can actually just spend a little bit of time working on making sure that that anger doesn't come into their decision making and the frustration doesn't come into their decision making, 
it makes a massive difference. And when I, so as I sort of said at the start, like I often get people to reflect and go, okay, in five years time, what do you want things to look like? And the thing is, if you, if you, the decisions you make now have such an impact on what's going to happen in five years time. If you can get past or at least learn to live with the pain or the difficult situation that you're in, for the next few months and get, you know, year, two years and get through that, but work together as a team to create your solutions, you're going to then create this really decent, great, the best possible anyway, pathway leading forward. Where if you go straight to a lawyer and write an angry litigious letter and start the angry process, in five years time, you're not even going to be able to look at each other. You're going to hate each other. I've seen it over and over again. And you're not going to be able to talk. Your kids are going to suffer. And you know what? That is probably another really big message is despite how you're feeling now, you've got to think about the impact this would then have on your children. If you had children and you're fighting now, and then in five years time, you still can't even be in the same room. You can't go to their award ceremonies together. Their first day school photos. You know, I've had one couple who had to arrange separate ones and the poor child was crying because all they wanted was a photo with mum and dad. I mean, you know, they're things that we just have to be the adults and go, you know what, as much as I don't really like this person anymore, they're still my co-parent. I have to learn to live with it. So I work a lot in that first stage on behaviour and choices and thinking about what's going to change your future and your, you know, it's going to look much better for you, even though you're not very happy being, you know, kind and calm with that person now. In five years' time, you'll really appreciate it and you'll be so proud of yourself. Do you think that people go through, I guess, a grieving process, but, you know, that person's still around, so they still have to, like, you know, go through it again and again when they see them? Like, it's, and, you you know, grief is a long process, so. It is a long process. And look, hey, I've been there. You know, I separated from my husband. My children were very young and it was so hard when you have to see them and and deal with them regularly, but it gets easier. It really does. I mean, it's been 10 years for me now and, um, we're actually quite good friends. We talk about the kids whenever something's happening. I'll ring him, he'll ring me. It is hard. And absolutely, we all go through different processes too. So we all go through grief, anger. We go through all these stages following any loss. I mean, I often refer to divorce as basically, you know, you're losing a relationship. You're losing, you're losing someone in your life that's been so significant. It's, it's like a death in the family. It really is. And that's the grief that you will go through as well. Like somebody has just gone. So you need to work through those things. And so that's why I really refer people to counseling and getting that support in that very first stage. Cause you can't make lifelong decisions while you're grieving. You can't make lifelong decisions while you're angry. You need to work on all of that before you can move forward and start making these really important decisions but it does get easier 100% I mean as I said I've been there Um, I went through separation as a child as well so my dad was in the army and my parents separated and I lived with my dad so I saw it as a kid and look I'm very open about it in my book my parents did it terribly (laughs) so I think I've, I've got a lot of insight into how hard it is as a child to have parents who hate each other and say horrible things about each other and the impact that then has on you but then I've got the other perspective where I went through that with my husband and I made a very conscious decision not to do any of those things and my kids definitely benefit for it and I do too I feel so much better in myself at the way I handled my separation. Nine out of ten defence spouses wish they found out about defence banks sooner 
Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning, has cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, and pin change functionality, savings roundups, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. So I guess if people do decide that they want to go writing the letter and um, taking them for all they can and, you know, that sort of process, are there any legal supports or services that people can access when they want to go down that route? Because you don't necessarily as a spouse have the funds to access if you have been, you know, the the stay-at-home parent or you haven't had that consistent income. There's a lot of ways people can do it. Sometimes lawyers will do it on a basis where they will allow payments sort of when they get their settlement. So there's a lot of lawyers around that do do that. So that's an option. There's also obviously legal aid options that will depend on income and everything. So if they don't have any income, they could actually go and access all through Australia. Every state has their own legal aid jurisdiction, but they do, and they all have their own rules, but um, that's certainly something to look into. Another service. So, I mean, I'm a private mediator, so obviously people do pay for me to, to do that, but there are definitely some free mediation services around as well. So just a note too though, on, on a children's matter, we do have rules in relation to your ability to take it to court. So you actually have a requirement to try mediation first in a children's matter if you're talking about the arrangements for the kids. So you have to get a certificate to set before you could go to court to say that you did try mediation. And, the, and with that, so the Australian Government have uh, Relationships Australia are the service that is really fantastic and they're usually no cost or very low cost and they have mediators there that can help couples obviously a very different service to what I provide I mean I've worked through an entire process where the mediators through the, the government services like a one day where you sit down and try and work it out but that's still a really great service for people who have limited access to funds so yeah I definitely say yeah legal aid relationships Australia and perhaps talking to a lawyer that might do it on a basis where they could pay if you know you're going to receive a property settlement they can do it that way and yeah. so are there some things I guess if someone or if the spouse has decided this is really not working and you know it's time to say I want to separate or I want to divorce are there things that they can do I guess before they say that to their partner if they're worried about a breakdown in communication or not being I guess received very nicely are there some things that they can do beforehand I guess to set themselves up make it as smooth as possible I highly recommend that. You know, often there's there's lots of things. So Relationships Australia, again, they actually offer counselling services. So it might not be a mediation service. It might be a counsellor that they can help you work through whether you want to separate and how that's going to look and prepare you emotionally to do that. Obviously, just general counselling. There are some very specific people who deal with separation. So if you can see a counsellor, your GP can sometimes refer you to people to assist with the counselling. There are a few things and I actually offer, um, I've got an online course where I actually prepare people they they work through the six steps so to prepare all their documents to prepare you know the list of assets and liabilities that they have so that they've got all that information and 
they can start looking at the options before they then move on to talking to their spouse about it. Really great way to be able to feel prepared when you're having those discussions to make sure you've got everything. Because often I find if people do the, look, I'm separating, and then they rush to find documents and they rush to look at solutions, um, where if they've done a bit of work on that, um, as I said, my course works people through doing those things. Some people do it before separation and some people do it after. It's, it's completely up to them. But, you know, I guess I really push um, counselling and very qualified people who have dealt with separation. They can be an absolute winner in that situation to get people really in the right frame of mind and how, how to approach their spouse and how to sit down and say, look, this is what we're going to do. I do one-on-one coaching with people as well to work through that because I often get people to say, you know, how do I keep this kind and calm rather than if I tell him I'm going to separate, um, he's going to run straight to a lawyer. And I work, I coach people in kind of having all that information with them. So when they do sit down, they can actually say, look, um, I've decided that these are some of the things I'd like to try together to see if we can work through this. Obviously, none of it's going to be easy, but if you can be as prepared as possible, I guess it, it makes that process smoother because, you know, when emotion's involved and if the other person doesn't actually want to separate, but you've made that decision. And look, sometimes it takes time too. Like I find that, so there's someone that might come and see me before they separate. I work through all that with them. We prepare them. We get them ready for the discussion, but then they might have that discussion and the spouse is just not ready. And sometimes it is a bit of a waiting game. You might actually have to give them time because when you think about it, if you're prepared and you've done that, you're a few months ahead of them in the grieving process and the, you know, the change, they need time to catch up. So I often will say to people, don't always be in a rush because unless there's an immediate urgent legal issue that needs to be resolved, you can sit down and try and work those out together. But if the rest of it can wait. And what about for those people that might be like, have that epiphany and their partner's deployed or away and they just think, no, that's it. Enough is enough. We've been fighting via text or whatever the case may be, or it wasn't great before he left or she left and Mm. that's it. I've had enough. What couldn't you suggest in that situation? Because like you mentioned, if you're already, you've already made that decision and they don't see it coming or they didn't know that you're going to make that decision and they're away and they've got months to catch up and they don't even start that process until they actually get back from being deployed or where whatever they're doing with defense what would you suggest in that situation how would you approach that situation well look I guess if someone came to me in that situation I probably would tell them to just get prepared and ready for when they come home and I guess I know myself being you know um, with my spouse used to be deployed I think it would have been a really difficult thing to do by distance it would definitely I guess I'd have to talk to the, the person every circumstance would be different but I would again think it's just about that preparing staying calm is there really a reason to tell them right now and if they're on deployment and nothing's going to change at home it might be something that needs to wait for you to be able to sit down face to face and do it in as kind and calm as way as possible but having said that there might be a situation where there is an urgent need and there has to be something so definitely I wouldn't think that it would be a great thing to do it by distance but unless there was a circumstance that called for that you're not doing yourself any favors in the eyes of I guess the other person's lawyer or or the mediation process or if it does go to court 
to say that, you know, you just up and left and took what you wanted to take or, you know, moved yeah. to a different state or whatever often, the case. Yeah, often those really drastic decisions like that do end up, A, it puts you straight on that negative path because the other person finds out and then they go straight to a lawyer and there's none of that kindness in and, and calm and trying to work things out together. You jump straight into negativity. I have seen many people, not even obviously just defence people, but to do that, one of the worst ones was, um, I had a gentleman that came home and his wife had a removalist there during the day and removed everything from the house and yeah. taken the kids. You know, that's a really terrible way to do it. And in my opinion, there's so many better ways you could do something like that. I and mean, there's not really any coming back from that. If you started no, the process not. like that, like it's no. like, oh, now let's do the calm. Yeah. And, and that's when it comes process. back to your, yeah, your choices. So if you make a choice to do something that drastic, it really has to be good reason behind it because you know that you're starting on a really negative path. What you need to do is get some coaching and get some information about how you can do that in the kindest and easiest possible way for all of you. And of course, people are coming at it. The reason that they do that is because they hurt. Like, oh, absolutely. And they're coming up from an emotional point of view. And so that's, I guess, what my work is very much about. Yes, emotions need to be dealt with and you can do counselling, you can get support, but that's not where you should be making decisions based on emotions. You need to make some really practical decisions and look into your future. So mm. I guess if people have, you know, in a perfect world, they've had a discussion and said, yep, it's time for us to separate. Let's get the process started. What is the first step for people, I guess, or couples that are on the same page and they do want to go into it and be as amicable as possible and yep. calm as possible yep. and, and do it the nice way? What is the first step? So the first step is, uh, you know, I guess picking the team. So if you've sat down and you both agree, like a lot of people work through my course or my book and my process and go through and prepare themselves. And then they get to that point where they go, okay, we now want to sit down with someone. I am actually part of a, a network that is called the Kind Lawyers. It's a small group at the moment and we're, we're getting larger. But so my first step would be to make sure if you're going to see a lawyer to write it up, that you choose someone who's going to keep you on that kind and calm pathway. If couples come to me, I give them the options. I say, look, I can sit down and one option, I can be your mediator. The other option, I can um, do a, be a collaborative lawyer for one of you and I can grab one of my kind lawyer colleagues as and come in and we can actually, the four of us can work together. Other times, clients actually have their agreement already and I just write up the documents for them. So really the first step is making sure you have gone through all the, the processes, which is preparing all your documents, looking at your options and, and making sure you've got as much information together as possible. Um, on my website, I do have quite a few tips and tools and and also some free downloads that people sort of can use to gather their documents and do those sorts of things. I highly recommend people do those things before they go see a lawyer because if you go through that process with a lawyer, sometimes it costs more. So having all of your stuff prepared and if you've got your agreement, then great. If you don't, then you should be asking about mediation or collaborative to work out your agreement. So yeah, definitely that first step is just to getting prepared and getting all the information and the two of you deciding which method you would like to use. Yeah, and um, of course it's also about education and people knowing that there's a different way because it's not like you know people on a Friday night is like yeah let me educate myself on divorce and separation like Absolutely. it's not <laughs> it's it's really only something that you do when you're in it 
it's not something that you really want to think about otherwise. I mean, nobody wants to think that they're going to separate. We don't get married otherwise, you know. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I guess by writing the book and being part of the kind lawyers, those things, I'm really just trying to spread that message that, you know, the more people that know that you don't just have to run straight to a lawyer and start litigation, the better. Because if we can grab them very early on and teach them all these other options and make sure they're aware of them and then they choose the right one for them, it completely avoids that process. What about if a couple have decided to separate, but they want to work on things? Is is it worth them getting something in place to keep, you know, everything amicable or like yeah. what, what should they be doing if they've separated, but they want to, you know, with, with the intent of possibly getting back together? Okay. Yeah. Look, and I deal with that quite often. Um, I do get people that come in and say, look, we think we need a break. We need to sort of separate for a little while and see if that makes things better. So I would obviously send them off to relationship counselling to do that side of things. But when it comes to, I guess, the more practical and legal side, there's two ways. One is, I mean, I often use become a mediator in that situation. And I sit down with the couple and we go, okay, what are the immediate things that we need to agree upon to keep this calm? So one's going to move out. What's the arrangement going to be for the kids? And we write that up as an interim agreement. And if there's any financial issues, so look, you know, they might sit there and agree on how much money the spouse is going to receive from the other one just to keep you know, the mortgage paying or the husband might say, look, I'll keep paying the mortgage and give you this much each week towards the care of the kids. So often those interim things about interim finances and interim arrangements for the kids can still be worked out, but we can just do them. There's two ways. You could do it on a formal basis, but quite often my couples will do it on an informal basis. So we write up an agreement. It's not legally binding. It's basically just a contract between the two of them that says, look, we're going to have a trial separation. These are the rules whilst we're in this separation. And one of the big rules is also that you're both going to go to family and relationship counselling to see if you can work on it. So none of that then is legally binding. And if they do choose to get back together, it's they just can rip that piece of paper up if they want to. Yeah. And I guess the extra layer is that with the defence spouse and them wanting to separate but wanting to work on things is that they don't necessarily have that fallback of you know, a friend that they can stay with or family yeah. that they can stay with during that process. So I guess there's there's a, that little bit of extra pressure because they do either have to go and find their own accommodation and set themselves yep. up or decide to do that from afar if they do go back to family. Yeah, look, there's lots of different ways that I've had couples deal with that. I mean, obviously, sometimes people stay under the same roof but live in separate rooms, which it's worked for some and it's worked terribly for others. Other ones is where they potentially share the home. So they have, you know, whilst whoever the parent has that has the children stays in the home and the other one goes and stays with friends or goes away or if they've got a unit or something somewhere they they can utilize that and other ones do the complete thing where one completely moves out and then they come up with another arrangement so it's really up to that particular circumstance as to what's going to work and I guess that's why mediation is really great in that because you can actually come up with like a number of options and trial some and see what work for that couple. So then if they separate or straight up they have decided to get divorced, to you, what would be best case scenario, perfect divorce, you know, if everyone could have that type of separation divorce, what would you think it would be? Well, the ones that I I see work the most is usually where a couple prepares all the everything they need so they go through my process separately whether they do the online course or just go through the book get all their documents ready list all their assets and liabilities and then they come to me or come to a mediator the mediator sits down with them they create an agreement and then we write it up it's usually because there's not 
a lot of pain involved in that. It's a reasonably straightforward process. We're working together. There's no arguments. It's really just the couple and myself sitting down and, and working through them. I love mediation and I think that out of all my clients, mediation is the one that often people walk away with and have a much better relationship than in any other method that I use. I guess in regard to, you know, if once it's all said and done, the divorce is done, they've walked away and they're happy. Like you said, if they've done mediation and they've done that sort of not sort of fighting each other through court process and they're as happy as they can be walking away from a divorce, what happens with, I guess, parental payments and parents seeing kids when defence is involved and postings and deployments and all of that? Like, how does it work with access to kids? And I guess, you know, if it has been decided that the spouse will move back to another state or another location and and visitation, is it that the defence member or the parent that's separated from the kids pays for that? How do they work that out? Well, again, if you're doing mediation, that's entirely your decision. So the couple would sit down and work out what's the best way to deal with that. If you're in a court situation, it would come down to, you know, the evidence that's presented as to who can afford those things and what the, I guess, the disposable income of each of the parties are to be able to afford to do all those things. In every case, whether it's defence or not, I mean, obviously the parent that has the child has the right to apply for child support. So child support's a very different thing. When when a couple separates, there's a few different things we can do. Obviously, um, there's the property settlement, which just deals with your assets and liabilities so that's you know houses and super and those sorts of things the other application is to talk about you know making arrangements for the kids and then the third application is actually your formal divorce Um, you can do the property and children together or you can do them separately Um, obviously just costs more if you're doing a separate application to finalize those or a different document and the divorce is usually is done 12 months after you've separated so that's a completely different thing to actually doing so there's all these different applications unfortunately that you do end up having to file but then on a side of that is child support so even though you might have done a property settlement and you've received a certain amount everyone is entitled to have an assessment done for child support now it's a government regulated amount and it depends on how much you earn how much you spend and then the percentage of care that is is there. Now, one of the things I do with mediation, which works quite well is, yes, so you can go and get the assessment. You can actually look online at the child support agency and they can do an, you can actually do a calculator online just to see what you would be entitled to and what they'd have to pay. So that's in addition to you receiving a property settlement, they have to pay that amount. In extreme circumstances in that property settlement, there is the ability to apply for spousal maintenance. But as I said, that's something a court would have to decide. um, And it's, it's to do with how much each of you earn and and the ability to continue to support that person but the child support is really about you know covering the costs of the kids and putting a roof over their head so it's calculated by the government it's a really tricky formula right but in the mediation setting we can actually sit down and agree so let's say if they've got an assessment from child support that says the parent has to pay $150 a week separately you can actually agree to say you know look I agree that's not going to be enough that's not going to cover what it costs I'm you know one of the parties might say look I'm happy that if you pay for all these things for the kids I'll pay you $250 a week and we can write up a private child support agreement so that sometimes works in those situations to make sure that you know that's an ongoing thing and that would be in place then until they're 18. Obviously people need to be wary of those because with a private child support agreement you're bound to that amount and you have to pay that or you have to receive that amount if your circumstances change or the other one earns more money or you earn less money or whatever 
might be you can't really amend it unless it's by consent. So that's still an option, um, but it's it's again, it's another thing that you could actually sit down and talk about. And often I find a lot of couples like to try and agree on those things so they don't have to go through the child support agency and go through all that, that process. And what about in the case where I guess domestic violence has been a factor? Is there anything different a spouse should be doing, I guess, to protect themselves if they've decided they're going to separate and they're going to get divorced in that case? Are there any extra legal rights if they are a DV survivor? Sadly, not really not any extra legal rights but obviously that must be taken into account and when we say taken into account in so let's say if it was a real you know parent needed to relocate with the children had nowhere to go if there is dv that might be something that would support your application to relocate um, because you might need support you might need protection it depends on how severe it is i mean i have had this discussion before in that so dv obviously we need to take it very seriously and and it, it is a police matter so really when it comes to the family law side of things what it doesn't affect your property settlement it really it comes down to a protection issue and that's a police matter so if the police are taking it seriously and there's an, a, an ADVO in place and that you know perhaps someone's been charged with an offense that needs to be dealt with in the criminal court when it comes to your family side of things it would come down to each circumstance as to whether it needs to be taken into account for your future needs or whether there's some impact upon you whether that needs to be considered so it's really unique to each individual situation as to how that would potentially affect any outcomes. My biggest thing would be to be saying to people that they need to get the support they need to make sure that they're protected and that children are protected. But I also feel very strongly that often when I do mediation, I do do an intake of each of the parties. Obviously, when people are mediating, they need to feel that they can actually negotiate and they're not feeling intimidated or threatened. So there's a few methods that I do. If I do see any sort of DV, um, whether it's physical, mental, there's lots of different forms. I have to make a decision as to whether it's appropriate for mediation or not. And that will depend on each couple and the person and how strong they've gotten. Perhaps if they're getting counselling, they might still be able to negotiate. Sometimes there's people that just are not able to do that because of the, the extremity of the DV that they've suffered. But I also like to make sure that mediation is still available because I don't think a DV victim should not be allowed to use these alternative methods because the last thing you want as a DV victim is to actually go to court and be put in a witness box and have to go through all that again in a family court. So I really try my best just to create some options, which might be with a mediation, it won't be face-to-face. -face. We might do it by phone or I might actually pretty much be the middleman and, and do it separately so they're not actually talking to or facing that person. So I've created a few different issues. So they're the things I would consider in my practice if I did have someone who came to me and there was DV involved. Yeah. And of course, obviously, it that's a whole other set of issues and, and a whole another episode to talk about when there's DV involved. But Absolutely. the extra layer is that often spouses in any DV situation, it's very hard for spouses to actually report it and I guess, acknowledge it and, and go forward and get the support they need. But the extra layer is that spouses often feel like they're going to jeopardize the defense member's job if they report it. So there's yeah. that extra layer of them, you know, which then it can impact them with being able to, I guess, the defense member then being able to provide child support and, you yeah. know, like yeah. it's just yeah. so complicated. 
It is. I think the thing I would say is if it hasn't been reported and it's it's a situation where it's still happening, um, but you want to actually work out the process, my first steps are always to keeping that person safe. And, you know, obviously then being able to, I guess, come up with some ways that we can still support them, um, but get an agreement in place without it becoming necessarily, it's completely up to the victim as to whether they report it and they make it a police matter. And I do get that it can affect their job and that would therefore then affect their child support but for me I guess you know it, it all depends on the circumstances but certainly you know the safety of the, the victim and, and the children would be the biggest issue. And so what can people expect when they purchase your book obviously if they're in the situation where you know things maybe are not great and they may be thinking of making that decision to separate yep. or they have made the decision to divorce but just need some guidance yep. what can they expect from your book my book is in a six stage process so the first one is very much like so stage one i'll really briefly um, explain this so it's just to stay calm and in my book it gets you to go through all the things that you need to do in order to stay calm the second stage two is very much about preparing you so that's thinking about options making sure you've got the right documents those sorts of things gathering is stage three which again at taking adding that extra layer it is you know maybe getting all the right documents you need to go to see a lawyer getting all that information that I talk about about your options making sure you are, get all of that information before you move forward into that stage four is about exploring every option that's available to you so that might even be you know we need to potentially talk to brokers or talk to the bank you know I often will tell people to get some financial planning advice or to go and see a family counsellor if you're not sure about the arrangements for the kids what's best for the kids so those sorts of things the book actually does allow people to get if they can get all the way through to stage five which is negotiate I teach people how to actually create an environment to sit down and negotiate together but it does give them the option to then use the methods or to say approach me or someone similar to me to actually use our kind and calm methods to do that negotiation phase for them and then the last bit talks about how you actually finalize your agreement the reason I wrote this book is I often would get people to come to me and you know those first three or four stages so many people can do on their own so the book helps people a save a lot of time and money on legal fees by working on those things themselves so when they get to the negotiate phase they have it all ready and they can go to a lawyer or a mediator and do those things. So it's really a guide, I guess, and there's lots of worksheets throughout the book. And I also have an actual workbook that people can download off my website and with some separate worksheets as well if they don't want to do the entire workbook. I have the online course, also the ability to do the one-on-one -on -one coaching. So at each stage, people can actually have a sit down and have a chat with me. Usually I do that by Zoom, talk to client, you know, people and work them through that process so they don't need to go to the expense of actually doing that through a lawyer. I don't give legal advice at that stage. It's very much about information. So really just getting people to do that. I also offer like a 15 minute to people if they're at a stage where they go, oh my gosh, what do I do? Anyone is more than welcome to jump on my website. There's a 15 minute free consultation where I really can have a quick chat with them and then point them in the right direction. Whether it's the book or the course or look, here's a colleague I know that could help you or whatever it might be or how I could help them. So I try and offer as many sort of levels, I suppose. Some people who want to do it all themselves, people who want want 
a little bit of help from me or people want me to help them entirely. And I guess the key is that you've been through it before and you have been a a defence spouse before. So you have those extra layers of knowledge and real understanding. Yeah. And look, I guess I try and say to most people, I mean, I try, I believe in honesty and kindness. They're my morals and I try and get people to work through their morals, but I'm very honest about what I've been through. So I think that if people know that I do actually understand and I do know how hard it is, it's not an easy process. So when I'm saying do this, this and this, I'm not saying it because I don't know better. I actually know that long term that will have a massive impact on you and your life because the alternative is just not great. And I've seen so many people go down that alternative, but I've seen it both ways. I've seen it as a child and as an adult and I've seen it good and I've seen it bad. So I'm very happy to talk with anyone at any point if they're unsure whether it's before they separate, after they've separated, or if they know someone who's separated and they want to, you know, give some advice or get some information, I'm always available to give out information. I love coaching and teaching people in these methods. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kirsty, and letting us know about all that you're doing, I guess, to promote calm divorce and separation and making calm cool for divorce and separation. Not that, you know, it's a club that you want to be part of, but if you have to go through that process, doing it the best way possible. Thank you for having me. Um, And I hope I've given you enough information to help people. And as I said, my door is always open for anyone who wants to ring, email, phone. I've got my social media where people can DM me, whatever they want to do. I'm, I'm, I love helping people. I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 